What's up? Welcome to the second live, kind of live, Forte Catholic Radio Show. We are actually recording this a couple days early because if you are listening to this live on Tuesday night, I am currently driving from a family vacation. Um, this weekend we are celebrating, or we have just celebrated, I guess, um, my parents' 30th wedding anniversary. So the whole family's kind of gathering for that. And then I'm actually currently, as you're listening to this on Tuesday night, I'm driving to Tulsa, Oklahoma to go to a fundraising conference for work. But, um, so we are recording this a couple days early. We are live, just live to tape, and we're recording it, and we'll air it live on Tuesday. So uh, our topic today is on Christian unity, and just kind of looking at, okay, the Catholic Church, uh, we say that we have, we, the Church possesses the fullness of truth, that all the truth that God ever wanted, he gave to the Church that Jesus founded, which is the Catholic Church. But I want to talk about a very fancy word today, if, if you... Uh, um, we want to learn a couple of big words today. We'll have a few of those. We'll have some in English, some in Latin, and some that uh, um, our interview that you'll hear in our second segment. She said some words that I didn't understand, but Allison Sullivan is our guest, and she's a lot smarter than me. So um, we are talking today. The first big word we're going to tackle is this word called transcendental. So as you're driving your car and you're with your kids, at, turn around and ask your two-year-old to say the word transcendentals. Uh, record it and then send it to me. You could send it to um, I'm. You can find me on Twitter. Send me the video on Twitter of your child saying the word transcendentals. I'd love that on Twitter at Taylor Schroll, S C H R O L L. So, okay, Taylor, you said this big word. You asked us to send a dumb video. So, what are the transcendentals? The transcendentals are um, these three things that are that explain existence. There's truth, goodness. And beauty. So uh, these philosophers came up with this, but if you are looking for something that is true, that is good, and that is beautiful, where's the one place that you are going to find that the most? It's very good. I just heard you all say Jesus. So thanks, thanks for uh, answering the radio. That's very brilliant of you. True, like the most true and good and beautiful person of all time was Jesus. He possesses all truth, he is ultimately good, and he is ultimately beautiful. So what does this kind of mean for us in our, in our discussion today? Okay, so the church has the fullness of truth. We are the body of Christ, so the church is true, good, and beautiful. But that doesn't mean that truth, beauty, and goodness cannot be found outside of the church. I saw a beautiful girl once. <laughs> She was not in the church, right? Like, you can see beauty other places. You can find truth other places. Two plus two is four. That's true. I, I, I don't think I've ever heard that inside of a church. And, but then when it comes to our Christian unity, there are things where um, there are things that other people of other faiths, other, other Christians, other denominations, that they believe things that are true, good, and beautiful. The fact that Jesus died for our sins, Christians believe that across the board. That is something that is true, good, and beautiful. So just to kind of set up this day, I want to walk through just kind of my experience of, of being a Catholic and my experience with those uh, with, with people who are, are not Catholic, who are other Christians, just kind of what that has looked like in my life to just set up this day, set up this conversation. So just a little backstory of me, like I grew up. Catholic. I grew up. I was uh, I was baptized at a young age. I went through you know boring CCE for many 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 years, and um, you know sometimes I was I was also bored at mass very often as 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 many kids are. And then I got invited to this Baptist VBS when I was a little kid. My next door neighbor and best friend um, was was Baptist. They were super involved in the church. Great holy family. Great holy people. And he invited me to their vacation Bible school. And I went, and it's so funny because I remember like really enjoying it. It was a lot of fun. Like the, the youth minister was a lot of fun. All the volunteers were great. And <laughs> so not only was there truth, beauty, and goodness in how welcoming they were and how, how, what they taught us, but there is something that I have applied to the rest of my life that has helped me in ministry, that has helped me grow in holiness for many, many years that I learned there at 
the Baptist Vacation Bible School. And it was a song about the New Testament to remember all the books of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts of the Apostles, Romans, First and Second Timothy, Galatians, and Ephesians. And like they had this whole song. So anytime that somebody says, turn to Ephesians, in my head, I'm like, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts of the Apostles, Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians. There it is, right? It's like I've been able to be able to find things in the Bible because when I was eight years old, I went to this Baptist VBS. So there was like that was my first like big experience was someone who was, you know, in faith was someone who wasn't Catholic, was growing up with my friend. We played baseball together. We, we traded baseball cards together and we'd go, you know, hang out at his church together. And this was just such a great first experience. And this kind of continued throughout my childhood. A, a lot of my best friends, like most of my friends actually weren't Catholic. So of, of my best friends growing up, there was the Baptist next door. There was a non-denominational guy uh, down the road. There was another Methodist down the road. There was another Methodist across the street who was a friend of mine. Like, I grew up mostly with not Catholic friends. So I would, um, so this, I, I think it like affected me both in a positive and maybe a negative way. So like I would go to their church, I'd go to their youth group. And it was just like more fun than, you know, going going to mass as a nine-year-old, as a 10-year-old, or going to CCE at that age. It was just more fun. They were more engaging. And I actually learned a lot. And I grew in my faith at that time. I grew in my knowledge of scripture. I grew in my love for Jesus um, in that time with them. But it came to a point where I, I in junior high, where I just, I, I got fed up. I was just tired of being bored. I, I had a particularly... Um, like rough, um, like CCE leader. And I, I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that they were a bad person. It was just boring. And I, and I was, I just didn't enjoy being there. So I told my mom, I was like, mom, I want to go to this non-denominational church now. Like, I don't want to go to mass anymore. And she asked me why. And I was like, well, you know, I'm super bored here at mass. I'm super bored in CCE and I don't like it. And it's making me not like being Catholic, and I really like, you know, the worship and the preaching and the environment at this non-denominational church. So um, she made a deal with me. She was like, well, you can't stop going to Mass. Like, we're a Catholic family, and you're, you know, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade Taylor, so you don't run the, you don't run this house. So you're still going to go to Mass, but after Mass, like, I'll go drop you off at that non-denominational church. And I was like, okay, that, that, that would be cool. And then um, I'm I'm so thankful that she did that. Because if she wouldn't have made me go to Mass, like, I don't know if I'd be Catholic today. So for two years, right around two years, I would go to Mass every Sunday, and then I'd go to this non-denominational church um, every week. And it was just such a time of growth for me. I loved their services. I grew so much, like, the, the preaching was amazing and engaging, and I learned so much about my faith. I was excited to be there. It was the first time I was really introduced to praise and worship music, which is now a huge part of my life and something that has helped me in my conversion and, and something that I actually you know do for a living now. And it was the first time I was really introduced to that. So just the prayer experience and the, and the, and the challenge to, to be a better Christian, I received that by going to that non-denominational church. And I'm so, I'm so thankful for those two years. For two main reasons. Number one, like I already said, for my mom making me continue to go to Mass, because I'm very thankful now as a practicing Catholic that I, you know, went for those two years. But I'm also so thankful for those um, in that non-denominational church that reached out to me, that invited me, that wanted me to grow, like they wanted to share the gospel with me. So, you know, I, I had this huge conversion experience um, the, the summer of my freshman year, so right after that junior high experience where I was going through you know, going to the non-denominational church, and I, I went to a Steubenville Youth Conference the summer of my eighth grade, after my eighth grade year, going into high school, and you know, it, it was great preaching and great praise and worship, and it was one of those things where I was like, oh, Catholics have this. Maybe not all the time, like in our Sunday parishes, but like there are devout and holy and excited Catholics, people who are in love with their faith and in love with Jesus and want to share that with other people. So I, you know, I had this great experience where like, and the, the, the crux of that whole weekend for me was Eucharistic adoration. And like where, I, like, I was like, man, like, 
I would go to that non-denominational church, and I knew Jesus was present, and I knew he was there, but there was something special about the Eucharist for me. That, like, God, the God of the universe comes in a piece of bread to come and be in our presence. Like, not just spiritually, but, like, body, blood, soul, and divinity, like, completely in our presence. And it was because of the Eucharist that I fell back in love with my Catholic faith. You know, and and so I, I, you know, went to youth group. I got really involved. I um, continued growing. I started doing ministry, started leading worship and, and like helping lead retreats in high school. And then I go into college ministry. I'm, I'm doing campus ministry at uh, the University Incarnate Word where I went to undergrad. And um, again, a lot of my closest friends, like I did have a lot of Catholic friends there, but uh, again, it was just such a, I had a lot of Protestant friends. And I, I was in this prayer group where um, it was about half Catholic and half uh, non-denominational Protestant. Um, and it was this weird, this this really cool relationship because it was one of the best groups I was in that had this Christian unity that we were talking about. Like, okay, maybe we did degree, uh, disagree on some theological points, but we loved each other. We still do. We would spend hours together in prayer a week and just encouraging each other and walking through life together, like trying to grow as disciples of Christ together. And the biggest thing that I learned and that I grew in was there was, there was a guy um, in that group who, who was non-denominational, and he challenged me. He challenged all of us, but I, I took it as a personal challenge. Like, you guys need, you guys, <laughs> talking to the Catholics, you guys need to be in your Bible more. Like, reading the scriptures daily, having the power and the peace that comes from God's word and the wisdom that comes from it, that, that needs to be something that is in your life every single day. And I can't, I, I took up that challenge. And that year, my sophomore year in undergrad was the biggest year of growth in my faith ever. And I changed one thing. I started reading the scriptures more. And it was this this awesome thing for me that like it was it it took somebody who was Protestant like who who like they who who like had his whole life centered his whole faith centered around the scriptures to show me the importance of the word of God and what I needed to hear in my life. Now the you know this and I've had so many great experiences with other um, like Protestants and and like there was one time I was working at at a camp and it was a non-denominational camp run by a Catholic deacon, but there was one like Catholic specific week where Catholic kids would come and there would be, there were uh, counselors who were, who were, who were on staff who weren't Catholic, but there was just like beautiful conversations throughout the week about unity. And they were asking questions about mass and adoration and confession and like these things that are typically hangups for people who aren't Catholic. But like, there were some people who like, they loved the idea of confession so much that they asked the priest if they could just go, you know, talk to him and pray with him. Obviously, the priest couldn't give them absolution, but it was just such a beautiful week. And um, so kind of the, like, I, I just want to look at, at a scripture story to kind of um, set up the rest of our day and just um, just kind of focus us. And it's it's from John 17, and this is um, the end of Jesus' life. It's his, it's his final prayer. It's his final night before being arrested. And in John chapter 17, verse 11, he says, he's saying to the Father, And now I will no longer be in the world, but they, my disciples, my followers, are in the world, while I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one just as we are one. Like, it is the prayer of Jesus and the desire of Jesus that his body be one, that his people be one. He continues in verse 12. When I was with them, I protected them in your name that you gave me, and I guarded them, and none of them was lost except for the son of destruction, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled. So the son of destruction, you know, we can you know, think that that is obviously Judas. Um, but it's interesting in here he says, like, I protected them, and I lost none of them except for one. Like, he desired even for, like, even for Judas to be part of the fold. And so I, I look at this and I, and I see like with our situation now with so many different denominations, like, okay, God desires for us to be one. That's how it was for so many years. And he desires this for us. And it's something that we should be working for. And Jesus like doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants everyone to be a part of his body. 
He says in 13, but now I'm coming to you, Father. I speak this into the world so that they may share my joy completely. Like his joy is wrapped up in this whole conversation about unity and about his body being one, about his followers being one. He continues saying, I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word so that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So one, like he is saying this over and over again. He wants to make it purely clear that, we, that he wants us to be one. And that is the way that like so many people will come to believe. That's how people will believe that, that he sent, that God sent his son Jesus is that his followers are one. You know, we see it earlier in the Gospel of John in chapter 13, verse 35, they will know that we are Christians by how we love one another. That doesn't just mean like how I love other Catholics or how a non-denominational person loves another non-denominational person. It means like how we as Christians love each other. And then in verse 22, it says, I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Are you getting it yet? Like God wants us to be one. I and them and you and me, that they may be brought to perfection as one, that the world may know that you sent me and that you loved them even as you love me. Like it is the z- desire of Jesus that we be one. And it's so interesting, like the, the first big time that we broke off into these, these denominations with Martin Luther, like he was a Catholic priest and he wanted reform. Like when he posted his theses on the, on the, on the wall, on the door of the church, like that wasn't a declaration of independence. Like he, he was a Catholic priest and he wanted the church to improve and he wanted to be along that process. And obviously over the next few years, that wasn't happening, so he broke off, and, and you know, you know, the rest is history. The Lutheran Church and then the others, you know, broke off from there. But it's just like I look at it from from the the perspective of the evil one. Like he would want to break us up. Like if we've just seen in the in the in, the, in this chapter seventeen of John, like Jesus wants us to all be one. But there are so many things like that the evil one wants to do to try to make us not one. That started a long time ago, but it still happens today. So as we like move through the rest of our day, the rest of this show, I just want to talk about like, okay, how can we be one? What can we do about this? This like, you know, the, the Protestant Reformation happened a long time ago. What can we do in our in you and my regular everyday life so that we can build up unity with other Christians so that we can answer this call that Jesus wants us to all be one and then just show the world Christ's love by how we love one another. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Forte Catholic with your host, Taylor Schroll. I am here in studio with speaker, author, and my friend, Allison Sullivan. How are you today, Allison? Hi. Good, Taylor. Good. I'm glad you're doing well. Well, thanks. Um, I've Al- never done this before, Taylor. Not even one time. She's not nervous at all. Nope. She did not, not mention me. that she was nervous before Mm-mm. we went onto the air. Uh, <laughs> three seconds before the music started. So, um, I, you know, we've been talking today about Christian unity, and Allison um, actually has a great story um, on this topic. But before we kind of dive into that, in, Allison and I have a pretty interesting story about how we met. So, uh, yes. Allison, why don't you tell that story? Well. It was, I think it was the back to school mass. Yep. And Taylor was just up there rocking it. There was some serious praise and worship going on. And I was just moved. I loved your energy. I loved your passion. And I simply could not leave without telling you. I'm shy by nature, you know. And so that was a risk for me. Um, but as I've gotten older, I'm a little better at considering how other people feel instead of perseverating on how I feel. And I know what it's like to put yourself out there. So I just simply couldn't leave without telling you that what you do matters. Well, thanks. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. So we had just moved into town. My wife and I had just moved in from the Houston area. And I and Allison was actually the first person not where I worked to reach out to me. So No way. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know that. That's awesome. It was awesome. great. And you just, yeah, you came up and complimented me. I was like, oh, oh this God is, is, is cool. going to be fun. Um, I, I enjoyed it. So um, I brought Allison on today because she actually has a really interesting story about um, her conversion. So, um, Allison, why don't you share that story with us, yeah, the sure. story of how you became Catholic? Awesome. Um, you know, it really happened because I fell in love with a good Catholic boy. 
There you go. Um, I was this hand clapping, Bible thumping, free spirit. And he was this disciplined, prayerful, devoted cradle Catholic. And we just intrigued each other. You know, now we're trying to be all of those things. Um, but at the time, our faiths were very different. And um, it really came down to that we knew we were getting serious and we just both uh, wanted to know more. So I agreed to read a little. And when I did, I found truths that just would not let me go. Um, I just loved Catholic doctrine. And it took me a little longer. I hate to say this, but it took me a little longer to find the beauty of mass. And it's taken even longer than that to feel like I really fit in. But um, I don't know. There's a lot of Catholic code that I feel like is lost on me sometimes. But as a whole, I just love being part of an ancient story. The smells and the bells. And I, I feel like the Catholic Church does an amazing job of embracing the Holy Spirit. And so there's just this mysticality. Is that a word, Taylor? There's just this um, <laughs> mysticism that's that's just so welcome. So I love that. Yeah. So so you fell in love with this boy. Right? I did. I did. <laughs> And what, um, so you, you mentioned that like you, you fell in love with the doctrine. So how did that yeah. kind of start? So, um, you, where, where, like, what were you practicing before you became Catholic? Well, I was, you know, I was raised in a, a cr very Christian friendly home. Um, my mom was a very prayerful woman and I became a Christian through young life, which was, you know, a high school ministry. And so I had a very, you know, loud faith. And it was, you know, mostly through skits and, you know, <laughs> silly songs and grown men and women embarrassing themselves on a stage. <laughs> That's youth ministry. Yes. Yeah. And not anytime soon was Father Dan going to see how many marshmallows he could stuff in his mouth, you know. <laughs> so it was really different. It was a big change. But, um, you know, I told Seth, as you know, as I started reading, I said, this is something that I will consider if I feel like it is something that brings me closer to God, not you. And um, I hoped that I meant that. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder how much he liked that. I know. I know. I'm well, sure deep down he enjoyed it, but it was like, oh, oh she likes someone yeah. better than me. But I guess if you're going to like somebody better than your significant other, it should probably be It God. should probably be the Lord. Yeah. So what were the, so how, how long did this process take when you started like looking into Catholic doctrine and one, like what stuck out to you? What was the biggest thing that yeah. you, that brought you in? What was the biggest hang up you had? You know, I, I loved the reading. I, um, I love reading in general. And so um, and I love growing. I've always been a girl that's in love with new beginnings. And so um, I guess the biggest thing is the Eucharist, right? Um, I, I read something that explained that the Greek word used in John 6, where Jesus explains that his followers are to eat his flesh and drink his blood, that word actually meant to chew or to gnaw, you know, this very graphic word. And, um, and nowhere is that word used symbolically in Scripture. And not only that— but the word that he used when he talked about sacrificing himself and giving giving us his body, um, it's the exact same words that he used when he talked about the cross. So if we were going to be speaking metaphorically about all of this, then does that mean that he was also speaking metaphorically about the cross? Well, of course, we believe that the cross is is literal. So in that instance, we must you know, it's taught that we should believe that, that this was this was literal as well. And that's what everyone was grumbling about. That's what was controversial. That's why they turned to leave. Um, so so that was a big one. I loved reading about that and learning about that. Those were things that I just simply never considered, never knew. So how long did that take from the time like where you were growing up in a Christian home and mm -hmm. you started looking into this stuff about the Eucharist that you mentioned? How long did that process take before you were like, this is something I can get on board with. Well, you know, I just devoured Scott Hahn, anything that he had to say. And so, you know, that it's was... It's also very violent. He's a very nice man. Why would you <laughs> devour him? <laughs> um, so, anyways, Taylor. Um, so, yeah, I would just say a couple of months. Like, once I really dived into reading, it was, it was a couple of months. And, okay. and there was some discernment there, you know, through RCIA, of course. And Oh, cool. Yeah. Where'd you do that? We were in Japan. <laughs> wow. Totally normal, right? <laughs> yeah, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, we met and fell in love overseas. I was teaching abroad and he was in the Navy. So. Oh, wow. Met in the officer's club. Wow. I didn't know that. Very Top Gun-esque. Yeah, how was how the... Uh how is the RCIA program in Japan? Do they have a, a good you RCIA know, program? No, the Catholic Church was moving and grooving. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I think of places where the Catholic Church is moving and grooving and growing, uh, Iwakuni, Japan, Japan doesn't stand out. <laughs> it doesn't stand out, but no. maybe it will. No, I'll never know. forget now. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that, that, the Eucharist was one of the big things that brought you in. Mm -hmm. You know, your love for your husband, <laughs> your yes. love for the Eucharist, and, and devouring these these books and. Mm -hmm. So what were some of the, the biggest struggles in your conversion, like the biggest hangups that you had with 
with something in Catholic doctrine or with joining the church. Right. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that it, it's felt a little bit tough to fit in. And so, um, you know, the Protestant church is just so very gifted in creating community and in fostering celebration. And I, w- I would love it so much if the Catholic church, if we could copy some pages out of the Making People Feel Welcome book. Um, because I think what happens, I have a theory. I think that what happens is because of the Eucharist, because of that physical presence of Christ, that there's this reverence. And so you walk in and you feel it's, it's somber and it's solemn and it's deferential, you know, and when you don't understand the physical presence, all that humility at his his feet, it can seem like something different and it, it can come across as very private as something confidential, something that's even almost exclusive. And so you know, I don't know the solution to that because Catholics aren't going to quit kneeling at his feet anytime soon. And I'm obviously not <laughs> suggesting that they should. But, um, you know, maybe it's bigger lobbies or something. Yeah. <laughs> bigger lobbies, Taylor. Big, what can we do about that? Bigger lobbies, yeah. <laughs> uh, as you were talking, I just kept thinking of, of Pope Francis. When he was, you know, he said most Catholics mm-hmm. walk around like, you know, we're in Lent without Easter. You know, right. like we're just, we're, we're so sad. It's, it's so, such a weird thing because yes. the gospel is good news and that's oh, what the, the church is sharing. the joy of the gospel, and, yeah. the joy, yes. And then we walk into mass and it was like, yeah, you know, it, it looks like everybody's sad. I know, but a lot it's of people amazing what a few donuts and, and some juice in a lobby can do, you know. Yeah, for sure. Lots of hugs. Yeah, I went to a Protestant church once and I got to eat donuts and orange juice in that? the service. I was like 10 years old. I loved it. It was the greatest, such a good great, concept. The greatest thing ever. So I don't think we could do that at, at mass. I wouldn't suggest <laughs> that. But you, you know, you were talking about this this welcoming atmosphere, and then I, I mean, I've been Catholic my whole life, and I've walked into Catholic churches and felt like mm. unwelcome. You know, mm. like no nobody like reached out to me. Nobody, yeah. like, You know, everybody would look, like, especially like when I'd go to daily mass as mm. a younger person. Yeah. You know, it was like typically older people that are there. It's in the, you know a lot of times during the middle of the work day. And, you know, they'd look at me like, what are you, you know, like I was outside, like I right. was other. And so I think you're right. I think there is something that we can we can learn from our Protestant brothers and sisters mm-hmm. and, and apply that to our Catholic faith mm-hmm. and, and apply that to how we do ministry, mm-hmm. how we are as a community to just help us us grow. I mean, if just in, in any line of work, in any business, if you see somebody doing something well, you're not just going to be like, oh, well, good for them. Like if you can right. take that and kind of incorporate it to make it more um, welcoming at well, our, at our it's church. kind of you know what I was I was talking about in the beginning that you know, as I get older I'm I've I've become a little bit better um, in its maturity in, in my in my faith as well but um, to walk into a room and instead of here I am it's the there you are concept you know and so when when we walk into daily mass and we're feeling like oh nobody's making me feel welcome it starts with us we need to be looking around at who can I tell is feeling that way? Who can I sense that anxiety from? And how can I go make them feel welcome myself? Instead of sitting around and waiting for someone to make me feel comfortable, I'm going to take that upon myself and, and extend it first. Yeah, to actually do something about it. Right, yeah. right. It's the whole, the whole ordeal. Like, you know, I, I thought it was like my parents taught me as a kid, like, don't complain about something if you're not willing That's to, right. to do Why something about me? it. That's right. Why not me? Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's this there's this book called called Rebuilt. Have you heard of this book? I don't think so. No, so it was actually it's it's really interesting because it's kind of going to move into the next subject we're talking about. And it's this there's this priest and this youth minister um, at this church, and they were it was kind of a dying parish in the middle of this metropolis area. I think it was Baltimore, if I if I remember correctly. And what they set out to do, they were like, okay, our parish is dying. A lot of people are are going to are stop going to church period, or they're going mm-hmm. to non-denominational churches, right. that sort of thing. They so what they decided to do is they went to the five like biggest, best, thriving non-denominational churches across the United States, mm-hmm. and they would just go and visit, and they'd talk to the people that ran the church, they'd visit the services, they'd do all of these things, and see, like, what are they doing well? Why are right. people coming? Why are people getting excited about the gospel here? And then they took all of that information, and they said, how can we apply this to yeah. the Catholic the Catholic Church? Our masses, our, how we do ministry, all of these things. And, and their results were absolutely amazing. So one of the biggest things that they focused on was this welcoming, you know, being, right. being more welcoming and, 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 right. and having things like that. And their parish just started thriving. You never know how people are entering. You never know what they're carrying as they walk through the door. So for, for it to be a safe place, to be able to really proclaim um, that we are friends of sinners, you know, and that everyone yeah. is welcome here. Yeah. So in that light, so like you have an interesting perspective on this coming, growing up, not being a Catholic mm-hmm. and seeing that, you know, there were these great things about the Catholic church that you desired to join, obviously. Mm-hmm. And you've, you've been Catholic mm-hmm. for how long now? 
Uh, ten years. Ten years. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, thank you. A, a whole uh, whole decade. It's so, okay. um, so from your perspective of growing up as a, as a as as a Christian but not Catholic, and then becoming Catholic, just like these this priest and this youth minister did, yeah. going somewhere and having to learn what they do well. What do you think is the the thing that Protestants do very well mm-hmm. that we could add to kind of how Catholics do things to yeah. to make um, Catholicism great again? Right. You know, as you were as you were talking and, and talking about rebuilt, I'll be sure to check that out. Um, one of the things that that I was thinking as you were talking is the humility that it shows to be able to go knock next door and say, hey, what can I learn from you? You know, that's that's right. such a wonderful concept, too. Um, you know, I, I really think that um, Pope Francis is doing amazing things for the church. He's really pushing people to get outside themselves and um, quit making their faith so private and um, you, you know it, it should come from this overflow, this spilling out this this acknowledgement of the great love that we have received we cannot help but contain it. And because of that we it, it's an overflow and we, we just have to share it. I have to tell you about this amazingness that I've experienced in my own life and I, I really feel like he's making us bold. he's helping us be bold and instead of keeping that all to ourselves really getting out there and making a mess as he says, I just cannot <laughs> get over that phrase. I love it so much right. and, and I love the freedom to get out there make a mistake. It's okay. you know God is going, to redeem, redeem, redeem your, you know, your good works, you know, with the right motivations. And that right motivation is the love that he gave first. Right. So what does that look like practically? So like me being a Catholic in ministry or just somebody listening who's just a Mm -hmm. normal Catholic sitting in Mm -hmm. the pews every week, like what is the one thing that you would suggest to, to me, suggest to them that to, to be a better Catholic from something you learned growing up, you not know, being Catholic. I really think we need to widen our circles. Um, I can't tell you, you know, I, I have wonderful friends that, that love unity, um, that believe in unity and that live out unity. And so we have wonderful conversations and, and, and I can't help but notice that as we talk, you know, they keep talking about, um, how deep my faith is and how that's so rare, quote unquote, for a Catholic. <laughs> and I keep thinking, you need to meet more because that's not my story. That is not my experience. These, I am surrounded by deep faith Catholic women that humble me and, and teach me and, and pour wisdom into me. And I'm so thankful. And so I, I you know, I, I gently try to, you know, explain to them, I really think you should widen your circles. And I want to do the same, you know, but, but having those open conversations with people that are different than us. And by the way, that's a concept that we can take and not just into faith, but in every, you know, aspect of our lives of, right. of really extending ourselves and widening circles to include people that are different than us. Right. Yeah. I've actually, I, I used, I, I think I mentioned earlier that I've hang out with with other youth ministers of yes. all denominations. Amen. And it's so funny because a lot of them told totally the same thing. They're like, you're the first good Catholic I've met. I'm like, well, how many Catholics have you exactly. talked to? And they're like, you and some idiot I met 15 years ago. Exactly. You know, it's like, yeah, you need to meet more people. And like, so like th- th- those experiences have just been so good for me, hanging out with other holy Catholics, other right. holy cr- Christians who aren't Catholic. It's just that's been, right. Just been but great. there's no way that that's a coincidence. I think, you know, there's no way that all these Protestant people are saying you're the only Catholic. I think we need to get out there more. We need to be the ones to extend ourselves more. I don't know that we're doing that. So I, I, it goes both ways. Right. Yeah. I mean, the church has said forever and ever and ever that like our mission is to evangelize. Like that's, that's right. our job, the church's role. And I, and I do think our positive brothers and sisters do that fan, in a fantastic way. Mm-hmm. And, and we, you know, they, we can use that to remind us like what we're actually called to do. So mm-hmm. the last thing I want to do is I, I uh, just kind of talk about your book. I know that you are a published <laughs> author and uh, actually like when we met, you not only complimented me, but you you like went above and beyond. You're like, where's your wife? And you wanted to meet my wife yes. and you like gave her this book and like oh. both of us just felt so welcome. So oh. why don't you tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've always loved writing. Um, it was mostly a private thing for me, but I have a deep love of words and, and story and expressing myself and hearing other people express themselves. Um, I just love the written word in general. And so I kept a, I was keeping a blog as a, as a baby book and I was writing more regularly and that regularity started to define me more and more until I really felt like it was something I had to do to feel the most like my truest self, the one that he made me to be. And so um, I just found holiness there really. Um, so that was one thing that, that was kind of happening. And then at the same time, 
I, God never shoves me into mission. He's always kind of gently leading me. But um, the other thing that happened is that our friends inherited a publishing company and they didn't really know what to do with it and they needed authors. <laughs> what a connection. I know, right? And without that push, I just, I would have absolutely kept my my writing private forever. Um, but this felt like God's timing and not to sound mellow, melodramatic or anything. I simply can't help myself. Um, but I felt like it was laying down my life for my friend and that felt good. So rock, paper, scissors happened and it's been an awesomely interesting ride. So what's it about? Oh, so it's probably best described as a spiritual memoir, I'd say. And so each chapter I take a parable and I I apply it to my life and I attempt to put a modern spin on an old story. Cool. So yeah, where can we find that? (gasps) Amazon. Yeah. Allison Sullivan, Rock, Paper, Scissors. Cool. Well, um, yeah, if you want to find it, go check it out on Amazon. Uh, Allison, thanks for being here today. I'm so excited. Thank you, Taylor. This wasn't hard at all. You're just so warm. (laughs) I appreciate that. You did it. So uh, (laughs) thank you very much for being here. If you want to check out her book, go check it out at Amazon. I want to thank you again for being uh, just such a a great person, a great um, uh, leader within our community. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Taylor. Welcome back to our final segment of Forte Catholic for the day. If you're just joining us, we've been talking about Christian unity today and um, what Catholics can learn from our our, uh, Protestant brothers and sisters. And I want to kind of focus in in this last segment on a good old Latin word. (laughs) Nothing better than uh, listening to Latin in your car. I'm just going to chant for the next 17 minutes. I'm totally kidding. I'm not going to do chant in Latin, but... Um, there's this. There was this um, church event in the '60s called Vatican II. It was a. It was a church council, and what this is is all the bishops meet um, in one place. So they met in Rome in the Vatican. It was the second time that they did that. That's why it was called Vatican II. And they 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 call this meeting to just come together and talk about the the state of the church, how we can better do ministry. Because uh, you know we know like the the truths of the Catholic Church don't change, but our society does. So it's they meet to address okay, how can we take the truth that we know and apply that to our modern era? So one of the documents was called Lumen Gentium. That's your Latin for the day. That means the light of the nations. Um, all of these documents, they don't feel like naming them. So they're all named the first few words of what the document says. So um, it starts off by saying light of the nations, calling Jesus the light of the nations. And what this document is about, it was this big document that they that they wrote. And what they do is they you know, have discussions and then um, kind of talk through all these things, certain different topics. They talk about the church. They talk about how, uh, uh, like the priesthood and what that's supposed to look like. And they would just kind of clarify things, and this one in particular was on the church. And I want to focus in on two paragraphs of it today, because um, it has a lot to do with our our topic for the day. And it, one of them, it talks about like what Catholics are, like what makes a Catholic. And then in the next paragraph, it talks about the church's relationship and Catholics' relationship with other Christians who aren't Catholic. So let, let's just start right from the beginning. It says that this, uh, this is quoted from Lumen Gentium, this sacred council, so the, this, the holy group of people who, who met, it says that they wish to turn its attention firstly to the Catholic faithful. So before addressing our relationship with other Christians, before addressing our relationship with um, other pe- peoples of different faith and or people of no faith, it's like, let's look at ourselves first. Like what is a faithful Catholic? What is a Catholic, like what does a practicing Catholic look like? It says, basing itself upon scripture and tradition, like everything that the church teaches is based on what is in the Bible and then what has been passed down to us from the, the teachings of the apostles. It says it teaches that the church now on earth is necessary for salvation. So the church is a necessary thing for salvation. This this Catholic church that we have, the universal church, like the church that Jesus established is necessary for salvation. And what as we kind of continue, it's like, okay, well, what does that mean for people who aren't in the church? And that's kind of what we'll be discussing here in the next few minutes. 
says that Christ present to us in his body, which is the church. So the church as the body of Christ is the one mediator and the unique way of salvation. So kind of how this works is that, okay, somebody who is in, we believe that the Catholic church is the one church uh, um, established by Christ. It has the fullness of truth. So all of the truth that God ever wanted to share was given to the Catholic church. But that doesn't mean that there's not truth in in other faiths, right? So like something that we talked earlier about the, the transcendentals, truth, beauty, and goodness. So what is true, good, and beautiful? So is believing that Jesus is the, is the savior of the world, is that true, good, and beautiful? Of course it's true, good, and beautiful, and other Christians believe that. So that is something that they, in that way they are actually, at, because of that, participating in the mission of the church. They're participating in the, body of the, in the body of Christ. Like even for somebody who is, let's say somebody who's Jewish, okay, they don't believe that Jesus is God, but they believe that there is one God. So that's something that is true, good, and beautiful. That's a way that they participate in the truth of the church. So um, it's and the Lumen Gentium continues. This is in uh, paragraph 14, in case, you know, you find yourself wanting to do some light reading tonight. It says, the bonds which bind men to the church in a visible way, like our profession of faith, these are the things that bind people to the church, the profession of faith, like the creed, like this is what we believe, the sacraments, the ecclesiastical government, it's a big fancy word for like the church governing bodies, so the priests and bishops and, and, and popes and that sort of thing, and communion. So these are the, like the four things that bind us to the church is our profession of faith. Like this, this is what we believe. These are the, the seven sacraments that God has given us that we participate in, you know, baptism and, and the Eucharist and the things that we receive um, on, on Sundays when we go to Mass. It's like the, like the ecclesiastical government, like this is what holds us together. So like we are one big universal church, but you and I, for the most part, participate at one local parish. That's part of a diocese. That's part of the United States. That is then part of the entire world. And then finally, communion. Like we are in communion with one another, and then obviously we receive we 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 receive the Eucharist, which is also communion as well. So, um, this uh, another like this is another place where there is similarity here. So some some faiths like have a profession of faith. Like I've actually been to an Episcopalian um, service. I've been to a Methodist service. Like they say the the creed. They say the profession of faith. That's another thing that they participate in. It's like we we may disagree on some things, but we, they, we do have that in common. That is something that's true, true, good, and beautiful in their faith. So when it comes to the sacraments, it's a similar thing. Like we have all seven sacraments, but there are some of other denominations that recognize baptism, that recognize, um, that, that, that um, say that the Eucharist is, is a sacrament, that say marriage is a sacrament. So there are some things that we, that we agree on, and then obviously some things that we don't. But here is, is where, um, in the next paragraph, in, in, in paragraph 15, it starts talking about the relationship of those who are not Catholic with the church. It says that the church recognizes that in many ways she is linked with those who, being baptized, are honored with the name Christian. Though they do not profess the faith in its entirety or do not preserve unity of communion with the successor of Peter. So, like, okay, so there are people who are baptized that are Christian, that are practicing Christians. They, they may profess the faith, but it's not in its entirety, and they don't have unity and communion with the successor of Peter, who is the Pope. So, like, they don't follow the Pope. They don't listen to the Pope. There's not that ecclesial structure, like that church structure. But the church also recognizes that with other Christians, we have way more in common than we have not in common. And then it starts to list some of these things that we have in common. It says, for there are many who honor sacred scripture, taking it as a norm of belief and a pattern of life and who show a sincere zeal. The, the scriptures and the focus on scriptures is one of those things that, okay, like they believe in scripture alone, that there's no uh, you know, other passed down tradition, like the, the teachings of the apostles, like whatever is in the Bible is what God wanted to say and that was it. And so that's the, that's their main focus, and like while we we know that it's not just just scripture alone, that's not what the Catholic Church teaches. That it, you know it is this balance of scripture and tradition, you know, as passed on um, by by the apostles through the bishops, and that the Holy Spirit continues to you know work through those bishops just as He inspired the scriptures. There is something that I think we can learn from our Protestant brothers and sisters. Like, their huge focus on the scriptures, like, that is the word of God. Like, so often people are like, well, I don't hear God, you know, when I pray. I'm like, well, 
Like he's already he's already told you everything he wants to tell you in the scriptures. And I think so often, like, um, our if you took like an average um, Protestant or an average non-denominational person, and you took an average Catholic, I, I would venture to guess that the average Protestant spends a lot more time reading the scriptures. I think that's that just that focus that they have is something that we can that, that we can grow in, that we can add to like what we are focusing on. Um, so that we can become better Catholics because of the example that they're setting um, in in the importance of the scriptures in their life. Well, another thing that we have in common is that, that they lovingly believe in God, the Father Almighty, and in Christ, the Son of God, and they are consecrated by baptism in which they are united with Christ. So, like, whenever you are baptized, you become a little Christian. Like, the word Christian means little Christ. Like, we become a follower of Christ. We're baptized into his body and like the church recognizes this when uh, when other um, like other Christians are going to become Catholic, like as long as they were baptized in the name of the Father and Son, Holy Spirit, they're baptized. Like we're not going to rebaptize somebody. Like we recognize that they have already been consecrated um, and united with Christ through their baptism. Another thing we have in common that Lumen Gentium says is that they also recognize and accept other sacraments within their own churches or ecclesial communities. We mentioned that earlier. Many of them rejoice in in um, in holy orders. They have they um, celebrate the Holy Eucharist and cultivate devotion towards the Virgin Mother of God. Another thing we have in common: they also share with us in prayer and other spiritual benefits. So, like there have been so many great things that I've seen, like unity in prayer. Like growing up, you know, we'd go to see you at the pole, and it was something that you know Catholics were there, Baptists were there, Methodists were there, non-denominational people were there. Like we all just united in prayer, because that was one of the things that, you know, obviously we have in common. We all want to grow in our relationship with God, and that's one way that that, that we can really do that. I was in this group, um, as, um, I, as I mentioned earlier, that it was just this group of youth ministers in San Antonio, and we would just meet together for some camaraderie with, you know, Catholic youth ministers, Baptist youth ministers, all, you know, the whole gamut, and it was just a great time of prayer and worship, and somebody would, somebody, you know, people would rotate who would uh, preached that day, and it was just such a great time, and it's just beautiful whenever we can share in prayer with those um, from other denominations. So um, it continues saying that, likewise, we can say that in some real way, they are joined with us in the Holy Spirit. For to them, too, he gives the gifts and graces whereby he is operative among them with his sanctifying power. So like, like, the Catholic Church doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit works in and through all people, and especially within other Christians. And like I, I see this so often. Like there are just so many people like who are extremely gifted that you know it's just not of them. You know, like some of my favorite preachers are non-denominational or Protestant. Like they just have such a fire and a passion for preaching. They're great people with with healing ministry that you can know that God and the Holy Spirit is working through them because they're out, you know, healing people of disease and of sickness and all these great things. And then finally, uh, the last thing that says that we have mainly in common is that some indeed he has strengthened to the extent of shedding of their blood. So like there are Christians all over the world dying for the faith. Like that is something that you know obviously that's the the best and quickest way to be united with Christ is to die for him, and you know the the church and the, these bishops at um, at Vatican II just wanted to remind us like look, if they're willing to die for this, they're willing to, and it's just another thing that unites us together. Um, it continues, um, and it was just really interesting. You know, we we talked earlier about the scripture where Jesus is praying that they may all be one. And Lumen Gentium continues saying, In all of Christ's disciples, the Spirit arouses the desire to be peacefully united in a matter determined by Christ as one flock under one shepherd, and he prompts them to pursue this end. And I've seen this so much in my life. Like, it's been such a big deal. Like, Catholics, Protestants, non-denominational, whatever. Like, there is this huge, like, desire in all of our hearts to be one. So I, I, it's it's this weird thing that like you know there's a lot of times people are arguing about doctrine and arguing about you know Catholics are right or or Protestants are right and like I think that's actually not the majority. I think the majority of good Catholics, the majority of good non-Catholic Christians, like want to be united. Like we look in the scriptures and we see like this is what Jesus wants. He wants us to all be one. 
And I've just been a part of so many great um, personal relationships and, and great ministries where like people are, are, are fighting for this. They're fighting for this unity where we can all be one again, because ultimately we all will be, you know, like whenever I die and you know go to purgatory first and then ultimately go to heaven, that's the plan at least. It's like whenever we get up there, we're going to be God's people. Like we'll just be children of God. We won't be Protestant. We won't be Catholic. We won't be Methodist. We won't be whatever. Like we'll just be in heaven. Like God desires all of us to be one. And I've just seen this so much and it's just been so encouraging. There's been so many great things. I think Pope Francis is doing a great job of being a, a vessel for unity. So many of, I, I, I talk to you know, other youth ministers from other, other faiths all the time. And they're like, you know what? I love that Pope of yours. I'm like, yeah, he's doing such great things. And there are other, you know, leaders within within the non-denominational world who are who are rising up and saying, like, look, we need to be united. And they're like, you know, saying good things about the church and, and Pope Francis saying good things about other faiths. And it's it's just one of these things that like, okay, like we recognize that there are things different between us. We get it. Cool. But there's so much more that unites us. And so much more um, where, where, we can, where we can be one, where we can pray together, where we can walk through life together, where we can walk in discipleship together. And then the last thing that I just wanted to mention and how the Lumen Gentium kind of ends this paragraph, he talks, he, he kind of turns, turns it back to Catholics and like, what are we called to do in this? And he says, Mother Church never ceases to pray, to hope, and to work that this may come about, that this unity may come about. She exhorts her children to purification and renewal so that the sign, the sign of Christ may shine more brightly over the face of the earth. So like our role as church, our role as Catholics is to never stop praying and hoping and working towards this unity. And I think for, for many of us, we have to shift this focus of like, there, like other Christians are other. Like we have to work and pray and and hope and know that there is hope for unity. That there is hope for us to you know be able to walk hand in hand and to pray hand in hand. So um I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I really enjoyed um the interview with Allison Sullivan. Um we will be back next week live on the air. Um I'm not sure we're going to talk about yet, but we'll, we'll kind of cross that bridge whenever it comes. Whenever it comes. So, if you would like to join the conversation, if you have some suggestions about things that we should talk about, um, go to my website fortecatholic.com. F-O-R-T-E Catholic.com. There you'll find all my social media. You'll find um, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, MySpace. I actually do still have a MySpace. Uh, I haven't looked at it in years. It's actually very scary because it's like, I, I think the last time I looked at it was when I was in high school. So it, just if you want to like join the conversation, have suggestions for um, things that we should talk about, if you want to uh, call into the show at some time, just let me know. And we will um, be right back here next week. Thanks for joining us on Forte Catholic Radio. Peace. <laughs>